Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everyone. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Paul Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. A great guest joining us who's been on with us before. Malcolm Jenkins, two-time Super Bowl champion, three-time Pro Bowler, over a 13-year NFL career with the Eagles and the Saints. He is the CEO of Malcolm, Inc. He's the author of the new book and his memoir, What Winners Won't Tell You, Lessons from a Legendary Defender. It's on sale today at bookstores everywhere and on Amazon.com. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm great. Malcolm is, uh, yeah, he's a stud. He is uh, another one of those guys that has had, you know, a storied career, but is doing great things off the field too. So he's fun to talk to, very smart guy, uh, great business venture. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for his book. Fun to talk about the old stories too. I mean, two-time Super Bowl champion and a pro bowler like that is, uh, you know, no joke. The guy knows what to do on the field. Yeah, and such a smart business person as well, uh, starting Malcolm Inc. And, and another one of these athletes that we've had on Sports Business Radio who during his playing career leverages his relationships learned skills for post-career, and he's done that beautifully. So uh, I think people are going to love the book, and I know they're going to enjoy today's conversation with Malcolm so we can discuss some highlights from the book. But before we get to that conversation, let's look at some headlines of the week, some big trades in the NBA. So we're in Portland, as our listeners know, and Damian Lillard has been traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, a lot of people didn't know what kind of hole the Blazers were going to get for Lillard. And here's what they got. They got DeAndre Ayton, Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, Tomani Kamara, 2024 Golden State first round pick, which is top four protected, 2028 Milwaukee pick swap, 2029 Milwaukee unprotected first, 2029 Boston unprotected first, and a 2030 Milwaukee pick swap. Obviously, they got Drew Holiday as part of the deal. They flipped him to the Boston Celtics. So it's really interesting. The balance of power in the Eastern Conference has really shifted now to the Bucs and the Celtics. I'm sure the Heat are going to be there again. You know, they're scrappy. Coach Spo always has them in the mix at the end of the day. But some really seismic trades in the NBA in the past week, Griggs. 
I tell you, man, I'm a Dame fan. We had him on the show. He's a great guy. And I think he gave uh, more than enough time to Portland, had to make a move. So I, I have totally on his side. But it was so weird yesterday watching Media Day and him in a Bucks jersey with Giannis. I mean, you can tell he was having fun, but it just seems so weird when you're so used to seeing the letter O, as we call him here in Portland. But uh, yeah, big trades. And that's a ton. I mean, it's funny how trades too involve so many teams. I mean, even Golden State trickles in with one, one of the picks. So it's just funny how it's not just a old school where you trade a guy for a guy. It's so much more involved and in depth. So that was a big one. Yeah, no, it was definitely uh, a busy week and lots of money changing places. Uh, Lillard, I think, is making $56 million in the last year of his four-year deal uh, that now the Bucks are responsible for. So the Bucks are all in on... Giannis and re-signing him and, you know, capitalizing on this window. We talk in sports a lot about you've got a window. If you've got like a star athlete like a Giannis, how do you capitalize on that window? Well, going out and get Damian Lillard, that's how the Bucks think they can capitalize on their window while they've got Giannis in his prime. Giannis is 28 years old, Dame 33. But yeah, I'm happy for Dame too. Dame deserves this. He deserves to play uh, in meaningful games make deep playoff runs, and get that ring. So uh, go Bucks, and hopefully we'll be talking more about the Bucks in coming weeks on this show. That's a tease. I like that. <laughs> All right, some other NBA news. This is a really interesting one. The Charlotte Hornets sold their jersey patch to Mr. Beast. And you're like, who's Mr. Beast? Well, Mr. Beast is a social media influencer He's got a chocolate company called Feastables, and they're going to be on the jersey patch, Feastables. So it's not Mr. Beast, it's Feastables. But it's believed to be the first time that a team has sold a sponsorship to an individual. So you've got these social media influencers out there, Gregs, who have tens of millions of followers who are monetizing that on YouTube and Instagram and other places. And the Hornets went outside the box here. We don't know how much this sold for. Their last jersey sponsorship uh, went for $5 million a year. So is it the same? Is it more? I don't know. But Mr. Beast and the Charlotte Hornets make a deal on the Hornets jersey patch. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I'm Mr. Beast, 187 million YouTube subscribers. Oh, my God. <laughs> the guy is killing it. He's all over TikTok. He's he, he knows everybody. I mean, you, you watch one of his videos. He's got Drake in videos. He's got I mean, Tom Brady. Tom Brady. I mean, obviously, he is beyond the word influencer. So uh, I see why they made the move. I think it's awesome. I think, uh, you know, Charlotte, why not? You know, they're not a huge NBA name. They're not a big team. But uh, why not do something different like this and see if it works? But I think it's fun. And, you know, breaking news, something new as we continue to change in culture and it becomes more social media driven and influencer driven. Here we go. Well, and you could argue that Mr. Beast, with all of those followers, could be a nice influence on the Hornets. Right. So everyone's talking about, oh, Mr. Beast and Feastables is on the jersey patch. Well, flip that around. How much exposure will the Hornets get from Mr. Beast via this partnership? That will be interesting to watch. Well, guess what? Former Hornets owner, who sold in June, Michael Jordan, has an estimated $3 billion now and he made Forbes' 400 list. He's the first athlete from America to ever appear on this list. So $3 billion. LeBron is reportedly at $2 billion. Tiger, $2 billion. But Michael Jordan, who still has a lucrative partnership with Nike and obviously Air Jordan, he's worked with McDonald's, Gatorade, Haynes. I mean, he really laid the groundwork for a lot of the sports marketing that we see Today, $3 billion on the Forbes 400 list. Not bad. Not bad at all. And super cool for MJ. And I mean, talk about a brand that is going to be around forever. I mean, I, I don't see Air Jordan going anywhere. I mean, that is, it's so popular worldwide. And he's selling shoes right and left. Uh, the market is still out there for sneakers. So yeah, I mean, not, not surprised. And uh, glad to have him on the list because he deserves it. He's clearly uh, making some money. All right. Major League Baseball playoffs get underway today. And Griggs, check this out. You know, we always talk about team payrolls. The top three highest payrolls in Major League Baseball. Number one, the New York Mets, $343.6 million. They didn't make the playoff. <laughs> Number two, the New York Yankees, 
million dollars. They didn't make the playoffs. Number three, the San Diego Padres, $253.3 million. They didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> Meanwhile, if you go to the bottom of the payrolls, the 27th highest payroll, the Tampa Bay Rays, $79.3 million. They're in. 28 on the list, the Baltimore Orioles with a payroll of $71 million. They had the best record in all of baseball, and they're in, in the American League. So, uh, I mean, it just goes to show you, sometimes the more money you spend doesn't equate to win. And sometimes if you use your money wisely, like the Rays and the Orioles have done, you can still build a championship caliber baseball team. So. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how the playoffs progress. Griggs, who do you like in the Major League Baseball playoffs? If I put you on the spot right now, who do you like in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I think Baltimore is just, they're just a great team. They're so fun to watch. They're young. They're just, uh, they're excited. You can't bet against Baltimore. I think they're going to go far. I think the Dodgers are hanging around. They got a good roster. So, I mean, those are the two I'm thinking of. Um, but I think you're right with the, we talked about, you mentioned earlier, how these teams go all in in that small window of, you know, gathering all these players. And then we see Yankees, Mets, these top payrolls, and they apparently didn't put it together right because they're not winning right now. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't know. Who do you got for the playoffs? I'm going to go Braves. Yeah. Because I think Kuna is ridiculous. Yeah. And I also, you know, Matt Olson's been playing great. Their pitching staff is great. So I'm going to go Braves from the NL. And then, yeah, I'm probably going to go Orioles. I mean, yeah. they they play a brand of baseball that is really great for the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And they put a lot of pressure on the opposing pitcher and the catcher, and they're stealing bases. And um, I also think they've got, you know, these are young players, but I think that organization is mourning the passing of Brooks Robinson. So I think they've got a little bit of, uh, you know, passion to play for him and to win something for him. And and frankly, the Orioles haven't been in a long time. Yeah, so that yeah. city is going to be going nuts. And um, it's going to be really a fun atmosphere. Uh, a very sad note in baseball this week, and I just wanted to mention it. Uh, Tim Wakefield, 57 years old, uh, knuckleball pitcher, was such a, you know, big part of the Pirates and the Red Sox, 19-year career. He passed away at age 57 and just way too soon. Such a nice guy. All of his teammates and, and, you know, people who came forward with remembrances of him this week had nothing but wonderful things to say about him. So uh, rest in peace, Tim Wakefield. He, he really made a positive impact on the world while he was here. Griggs, uh, some attendance numbers from Major League Baseball. And these are really great for baseball. And again, I think a lot of it has to do with the new pitch clock and the shorter games and fans just really embrace that. So Major League Baseball had its highest year-over-year -year increase in average attendance in 30 years. It was up 9.6% overall. Um, they eclipsed the 70 million mark in attendance for the first time since 2017. 17 clubs topped the 2.5 million mark, matching an all-time high, which was in 2000. Eight clubs eclipsed 3 million, which is the most since 2013. So um, really great attendance for Major League Baseball this year. You know, we talk about during the pandemic how everything kind of dragged down and it was hard to get fans back in person to events. And Major League Baseball did that this year. But I really think, that that pitch clock had a lot to do with it. A hundred percent. I think, look, baseball attracts families and kids too. I think a shorter event helps with the kids because they can not get so distracted. Um, I think my wife and I went to a Mariners game a couple of weeks ago, day game at one o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday, and it was two thirds full. I mean, I love it. it. It's just great. You can see the crowds coming back. It's fun to watch. I think the pitch count clock thing is, is huge. It's helped the game just move along and uh, it's fun to watch. I, I've been watching a lot more baseball this season. All right, our last headline before we get to the interview with Malcolm Jenkins, Griggs, is what we've all been waiting for in the WNBA season. It's the Las Vegas Aces and the New York Liberty in the WNBA Finals. They get going this Sunday, October 8th on ABC. I love the fact that the games are going to be on ABC. But this is what the league wanted at the beginning of the year. You had these two teams make trades and sign free agents and 
here you go. You've got Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart. You've got Sabrina Inescu and Kelsey Plum. Um, just some great matchups here. And, you know, I love that at NBA Media Day yesterday, you've got a bunch of the NBA players wearing Sabrina One Nike shoes. <laughs> yeah. Her shoe has really taken off in popularity. So, you know, again, for the people out there that don't think women's sports is growing and that you shouldn't be investing in women's sports, you know, everyone talked about Caitlin Clark and the NCAA Women's Final Four a few months ago. Watch what the ratings are for this WNBA Finals. I think they're going to be breaking all kinds of records for viewership and attendance. And I think there's going to be a lot of buzz about these two teams. But the league is pretty fortunate that these were the two best teams. And sometimes the two best teams don't always meet up in the finals. They did in this case. And I think it's going to be great for business of the WNBA. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got a mini all-star series. I mean, you've got so many names, like you mentioned. I got a slight edge to New York for my duck, Sabrina. But, uh, you know, I think those are two great markets. It's going to be fun. The WNBA has been awesome this year. It's, it's such a fun. I've been watching more of it, too. It's fun. It's fast. Lots of scoring. The three-point ball is on fire. I think it's going to be a great series. It's going to go five, I think. Yeah, I think it will, too. I think it's going to be pretty hard fought. I'm going to be watching wearing my WNBA hoodie. Griggs, I've got a WNBA hoodie. Nice. I searched for one for a long time, and I finally got one at the uh, Nike employee store here in Oregon a couple months back. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. So I'm sure uh, everyone will be watching that. All right, coming up next, my conversation with Malcolm Jenkins, two-time Super Bowl champ, three-time Pro Bowler over a 13-year NFL career. I love his new book. It's just really, uh, you learn so much about him as a person. You learn about who he is as a dad, um, you know, what his background was. You know, when you become a, a, a great athlete or a great person like Malcolm has, everyone's got their story. Everyone's got their path that led them to that place. So this book really shares Malcolm's story. We're going to cover some of the highlights of his new book in our conversation coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Talent, hard work, focus, and determination got you here. Now take the right steps to prepare for your future and ensure that you stay at the top of your game, your business, your craft. Morgan Stanley Sports and Entertainment is a division of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management dedicated to serving the unique and sophisticated needs of elite and professional athletes, entertainers, executives, creators, and other top talent and professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. They deliver the education, strategies, and expertise you need to help advance your financial game plan at every stage of your career journey. They speak the language. They know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash G-S-E. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Malcolm Jenkins, two-time Super Bowl champion, three-time Pro Bowler over a 13-year NFL career, CEO of Malcolm Inc. He's the author of the new book and his memoir, What Winners Won't Tell You, Lessons from a Legendary Defender. It's on sale at bookstores everywhere and on Amazon.com. Starting on October 3rd, Malcolm's joined me on Sports Business Radio before. Malcolm, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Congrats on your book, and uh, I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm glad you read it. Thank you. Yeah, no, couldn't couldn't wait to consume it. So I've got lots of good questions for you. But let's start with, why did you write the book, and what do you hope people take away from your book? Yeah, I mean, as an athlete, you know, many people write and cover your life and, and they write stories about you from their vantage point. And very often or very few times do we get to hear kind of the athletes, you know, vantage point. And so you know, I got two young kids that have seen me, you know, at the height of my career. And as I've, you know, started to reflect back on my career, I wanted to tell my own story and contextualize some of these moments that people have seen, these highly publicized moments. Uh, and really, like, unveil, you know, what's going on inside my psyche, the inside of the brain of an athlete. Um, and I thought, you know, what way to kind of close that chapter of my life than to put it in a memoir? I thought it was interesting early in the book, 
you mentioned that the publisher challenged you to tell a story that, quote, lasts in the minds of readers long after they read the final page. What's it like going through this process of writing a book that encompasses your life story, which is filled with so many different moments on and off the field? I would find it really difficult for someone like you to like, there's so many moments. How do you capture yeah. them for a book? Yeah, you, you start to you start by having to figure out what it is you want to set. And you realize you can't put your entire life into a book. And it, it's very therapeutic because you get to figure out what the key moments in your life were. You go back and look at things. And, and the good thing about being an athlete, like I said, all of this documented. So I can go back and watch every game, I can read articles and hear what I was saying, you know, in high school all the way up to pros. You have all of this context. And the hard part is distilling it down into a narrative. But the way that I wrote it, you know, it, it balances back and forth between past and, and, and future um, because I wanted people to, to feel that like sense of what it's like to be on the field, that that back and forth of a football game, the offense going forward through time, the defense is moving backwards. Um, and we really, I try to connect the dots so that when we go back and look at those moments that we love to see, the Super Bowls, uh, me standing, you know, and speaking all on social justice or all of the things that I've been known for, I want people to see kind of what went into that the process. And that's really what goes into winning. It's a life's journey, an evolution of a person, um, dealing with everything from fear, you know, all the way uh, to to just enjoying life. And, it, and I started the book in the first chapter is fear, and I ended really with uncertainty, all right, going into retirement, not necessarily knowing anything. And that chapter is entitled fun. <laughs> and so it's a it's it's a mentality that you have to have where you always embrace the challenges, you embrace the fear, and that's the that's the the joy that I got in play. And hopefully, you know, people find inspiration, you know, in the story. It's not just about football; it's about you know, fatherhood, it's about family, business, uh, friendships, leadership, and then having impact the world. Yeah, you really have lived a remarkable life. Um, you know, Ohio State in the NFL, you won Super Bowls. Um, one of the things that I thought was really cool, Tom Brady, most people kind of yeah. consider him the goat. He writes the forward for your book. And I thought it was a really nice forward. And it just really, uh, it's a great way to kick off the book. How did you arrive at he's the guy that I want to write the forward to my memoir? Yeah. You know, it goes to what winners won't tell you, unless it's from a legendary defender. So I'm thinking, you know, obviously I want somebody who I see as a winner. So I'm going through people that, that I look at as winners. And then it's, you know, legendary defender. It's like, that's a bold statement to say myself, but let's add somebody. Who was my favorite, you know, opponent? And that was Tom Brady. I love playing against him. I played against him a lot of my career. Um, and, you know, I spent the last three years trolling him about that Super Bowl. So I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if he was going to uh, oblige, but. Uh, he was, you know, he blessed me with with a forward that I think just, you know, puts the cherry on top of the book and, and solidifies kind of I think. But because he's he's in the book so much, I talk about those battles uh, because it's really about the cerebral kind of aspect of the game that I really want the reader to know whether you're and whether you're in the sports or not. Um, I write it in a way that brings you into the helmet of me, and and I think. A lot of those times you'll see Tom Brady or Peyton Manning and these other guys, these legends of the game, you know, across from me. And, and I have to figure out how to battle against these Titans. And I think many people understand that, you know, in life, whether you're going against a system, you're going up against a job or another competitor, um, you know, we have to battle these Titans. And, you know, I take people through my thought process. Yeah, it was it was such a great behind the scenes, I thought, in the book. Let's go through some highlights of the book. Mm -hmm. I love how you you start off kind of your your beginning. And in one of the early chapters, you're talking about your grandmother and you talk about how she taught you to defend yourself. Um, how did you come up with some of these stories? Because I really thought it laid a great foundation for the rest of the book and who you became to hear about your relationships with your grandma who taught you how to defend yourself. Your dad taught you football. You have brothers. Um, how did you kind of start with that, that roadmap for the book? Yeah. I mean, it, it starts with, you know, obviously you, you kind of know what the more, you know, public facing events were. 
Um, and as I'd analyze those, I had to think, like, go back as far as I could. It's like, when is the earliest that these moments showed up? When did I learn to stand up for myself? When did I learn to say no? Um, and it could, because it wasn't always like that. And so you start to go back and think about all of these impactful moments. And like my grandmother, that was, that was one of them. She was my biggest fan. And I'm like, yeah, she's the one who would not let me in back into the house unless I defended myself outside. Uh, and so when it, you know, when you fast forward and you see me constantly you know, standing up for myself, my community and people like that, you know where it comes from. And I also wanted to make sure that I laid the foundation that it's not all about me. This book is not just a pat on my back about how good of a winner I am. It's really about paying homage to all of the people and experiences that that built me into being ready when these moments came. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that came from, you know, black women in my life, my grandmother, my mom, my friends. Um, and that's all laid out, you know, here. Yeah. I just thought it, it kind of took me back. Cause I was like, Oh, grandma's the one teaching them how to defend <laughs> themselves and basically say, Hey, you go down the street and you stand up to those guys. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get into stereotypes here, but like usually that would be something grandpa or dad does. So the fact that grandma was doing it, I was like, grandma's a tough cookie here. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, and that's that's one thing that's unique about me. The men in my life have always been strong and been there, but my family is, is really a matriarchy. And the women on both sides, you know, my father and my mother's side, really, you know, are the the ones who kind of lay the foundation. They teach us the history. They, you know, push us to defend ourselves. They lay that foundation and always support us, nurture us, love us. And so I think it's it's important. We do normally see those things, especially a football player. You think it's kind of like this male-dominated thing. But there was so much that I learned about my manhood through women. Mm. You've got two daughters now. Um, I know a lot of times someone writes a book like this, your daughters are younger, you want them to have this, you know, forever. They can learn about their dad. And, and when they're adults, they can read your story. What was kind of the the hope that you have for them when they read this when they're older? What do you want them to learn about dad? Yeah, you know, it goes to, they ask me all the time when we're out and, and about and people stop and, and thank me for Super Bowls or want to take pictures and things like that. And they'll, they'll always ask, like, why does everybody like you? You know, so <laughs> So they actually, you know, you know that they know I play football. They know that's a big deal. And I don't know that they have a full grasp of all of the things that I am as a man, all of the things that I've done. I'm, and I don't expect them to. Like, I'm not teaching them, you know, every day all the things that dad is doing. Um, but I do want them to to be able to, on their own time, understand my story from me. A lot of been written about me as an athlete. A lot of people have said things about me. Um, but I want to, and I'm sure they'll hear, hear a ton of things about me. But I wanted them to have something that they can stand on about their dad, where they know, you know, where I stood. They understand. They can contextualize the things I was going through and the decisions I've made, uh, and hopefully even understand me better, you know, when the time. Yeah, I think you totally accomplished that with your book. Thank you. You talk a lot about your relationships with the coaches that you had: uh, Sean Payton, Chip Kelly, Doug Peterson. I found that to be really insightful too. Like, you know. I'm in Oregon and I know Chip Kelly was at University of Oregon, but the use of analytics and kind of how he was different from Sean Payton and how Doug Peterson was different from Sean Payton and Chip Kelly. I just thought it was really interesting to get that insight. You like took us into the locker room and, and told some great stories about the inner workings of the teams you played on. Yeah, I think that's something that everybody can relate to, right? It's like you change jobs and you go to a totally different environment. Not only do you have new coworkers, but you have different Bostons with different expectations, a different way of doing things. And we've got to all navigate that while still being ourselves, you know, hopefully. Um, and and some of it's like frustrating, but but what I try to paint is that I, I learned from everybody, regardless if I agree with you or not. You know, Chip Kelly, those years were tough years because we didn't, you know, succeed as much as we wanted to on the field. But the things I learned from him about how to prepare my body, how to you know train properly and, and push it was a big reason why I was able to stay healthy for eight seasons straight, not missing a game. You know, so I, I learned a lot from that guy. You know, Doug Peterson was a coach, came from Andy Reid, former player, you know, watching how he runs his meetings and he's able to inspire guys because 
he's in he's talking with the leaders he's empowering the leaders and there's a time where you know he'll cut that off and, and stand on his own and, and bring some things to the table and sean payton is you know the old schools that is it gets he's the guy who's going to keep it real with you you know but the thing about sean is he you know exactly what to expect when you come into the building you know which you know what your job is what your role is and the sooner you can get into that the better you are all of those things I took and molded into my own philosophy and, and even outside of sports, those things still exist. So I thought those were good examples to highlight for people who are dealing with those transitions who may be underneath, you know, some leadership that they that they love, under leadership that they question or challenge or leadership that they just, you know, are unsure of how to navigate. You know, I've, I've been through that. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. 5G is here. Is your stadium ready? From an immersive fan experience to efficient game day operations, 5G is transforming sports and entertainment. If you're ready to jumpstart your 5G transformation, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is one of the largest operators of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They provide stadiums and arenas with state-of-the-art 5G networks and support teams across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and NCAA. I'm constantly interacting with sports executives, and the reason they love working with Boingo is because Boingo manages 5G and Wi-Fi networks end-to-end, offloading very stretched IT teams. Whether your stadium is looking to support mobile ticketing, cashless payment, or connected operations, Boingo has you covered. But don't just take it from me. Their customers include world-class venues like Soldier Field, State Farm Arena, Petco Park, and University of Louisville. Boingo in 5G. Now that's what I call a win-win. For a limited time, Boingo has a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. They're offering a free 5G assessment for your stadium or arena. To get started, simply email sbradio at boingo.com and mention this podcast. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. You also talked about Greg Williams, and he's been a controversial figure. I don't want to give away any parts of the book, but I I thought it was cool that you kind of let us know him a little bit, too, and what the culture was. And, you know, you talk about bounties a little bit and how those can be, uh, you know, misperceived a little bit. But... I thought that was really interesting too. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that have gone on in my career. And we don't, when you're at the podium, you're representing a team, you're representing kind of everything in the league. You don't get a chance to speak on those things. But Greg Williams, you know, is somebody who was super influential early in my career. He's the defensive coordinator. His philosophy and how he approached the game um, really molded my mind. You know, he, he talked about, you know, the little things about football, not just the X's and O's, but he watched, you know, the body language of your opponent. Do, do they stay in the huddle for a long time or do they break the huddle early? Like that tells you everything you need to know. You know, are they looking at you, scanning his eyes, or is he looking straight ahead? If he's scanning, he's probably going to block somebody. If he's running straight ahead, he's probably getting the ball. It's, you know, so when you start to look at negotiations, you step outside of the world, you can read people's body language. You, you can read these small tales that people are giving. Um, and I just I found his mind fascinating and his ability to really connect with each player. You know, he's one of those tough coaches where we've seen highlights of like coaches cursing players out or being really, really tough. The only way that you can do that is when you build a, a relationship with somebody where they know that regardless of what comes out of your mouth, it's in the best interest of me because I know that you love me. I know you have respect for me. And he was one of those tough coaches that could give you, go off and give you every word in the book, but you would take it because he's built that relationship with each and every player and knew how to motivate his guys. And so I thought, you know, being under that was such an impactful lesson for me as a leader, as a football mind, as a father in, in how I moved strategically. Um, you know, so I wanted to lay that as well because we get we get a lot of the other side of Greg, you know, the football, I obviously – about any gay stuff, and, and he talks a, a tough game, but it's all strategy. It's all mental. Yeah, I really liked uh, the parts of the book, too, where I saw your leadership develop. 
I mean, you're one of the great leaders in sports history, as we discussed when you were on last time. And like we said, you've won at every level that you played at. Um, how did you become more comfortable as a leader as your career went along? Because I got the sense that you were kind of a coach on the field when you were out there for the defense. Yeah. Um, you know, it started by being, I, I feel like every great leader at one point in time was an awesome father. And when I came into the league, I was in a position where I didn't come in trying to lead everybody. I wanted to learn. I watched Drew Brees and how he prepared, how he talked to teammates, how he talked to coaches. Jonathan Bell was one of my favorite leaders of all time. And just the amount of respect that he had, you know, from coaches where he could tell Greg Williams, no, we don't want, I don't want to run that. Let's run this play. And it would be, you know, and, and Greg would do it because he knew one John put in the work. He watched more film than anybody. He's prepared and he had the locker room. And so when I started to pick up on those things, that's, I implemented that into my own game. And then I go to Philly and all of a sudden, all of those same scenarios come up. Like I've got to, I'm that guy now that's got to, you know, pick up the young guys. I've got to deal with coaches and, and tell them, you know, where the locker room is. And it was like, once I got to Jim Schwartz, we had that same relationship where I could tell Jim, Hey, I don't like that defense. Let's run this. And he listened to me because he knew I'd put in the work. I I, I knew I was I had the pulse of the locker room. Um so for me to have the influence I did, it really came because I watched so many guys that that did it the right way, showed me how to be a leader in multiple ways. The lead guys who might need to be, you know, they need tough love. Some guys need a one-on-one, you know, away from other people. Some guys you need to actually physically get after them, put them to respond. And, you know, I, I just, I did all of it. I still don't let them. One of the most fascinating chapters to me in your book was chapter 13. And it contained information about comments that Drew Brees made during the pandemic that were uncomfortable at, mm-hmm. at the very least. Um, you walk us through that process and the meetings that took place and the understandings that took place why include that in the book? And again, I thought it was like one of the most compelling chapters of the book. Yeah, I think, you know, we are at a time where we love conflict, right? We people love to argue and go back and forth and we spend very little time on reconciliation. And Amen. When I, Amen. When I want, so with, we can disagree, right? We can have disagreements. Um, but if I know who you are as a person, I know, you know, what you stand for and I believe, you know, that there are a chance I can give you a chance to be, you know, to, to forgive you and vice versa. Right. So, cause, cause I violated Drew's trust as well. And that was, that was part of it. Right. So there's a lot of feelings in it, but I wanted to show people the process of how two men and teammates, um, can reconcile and still be friends and move on and still compete together and, and lead together. Um, and that's, that was an important part for me, you know, to to contextualize because I think the the majority of people saw the 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 moments where we're you know I'm saying things, I'm challenging Drew, uh, and that was that. But um, very little attention was paid paid to the reconcile the reconciliation in that relationship. And so I, I wanted to start that off, but also to show that going back to New Orleans was was not an easy thing. You're going into something that's hostile down where, or at least in my mind, it's hostile, right? You just called out Drew Brees, who is almost genius down here in Louisiana. So, and now you have to figure out how to um, still collaborate when things are uncomfortable. And that is, I think, where we are right now, even as a country. It's like, we, yeah. even if it's uncomfortable, we've got to find a way to come together. So well said. And again, probably my favorite chapter of the book. You also talk about that the fact that the NFL is a business and there were tough business decisions that you had to make during the course of your career, contract negotiations, switching teams, going back to the Saints, as you just said. Um, I thought that was really spelled out well, too. It kind of took me inside of your mindset and the negotiations and shows that like football is fun, but like the business part of it, it's not as fun. No, it's not. Um, one of the things you'll hear all the time in, in sports, especially football, you know, guys will break the huddle and it's like family on three. You know, we're the team and things like that. And it's 
that is so true until the business side kicks in and then it's just business and those are and players sometimes struggle with that right like i i did you know i gave my first contract i was with the saints i gave everything i had you know thinking that i'm going to end my career here uh and and got a really <laughs> harsh reality on the business side of the sport and so then I had to start to move differently. I had to not only try to give everything to my craft and my sport, but I had to make sure that when this, when I was done with this sport or this sport was done with me, and I had set myself up, you know, in a way that protected me, that, that gave me the best opportunity to accomplish my own dreams. So that's business outside of the sport. That's also handling negotiation with your team, making sure that, you know, you're, you are securing the, you know, the longevity of your career, your future, making the best decision for you. And that's not easy in a team sport where there's so much expectation, so much, you know, you're in the limelight all the time. Everybody sees how much you make and has comments, uh, but you've got to be able to have that North Star and stick to, you know, your walls. And and I, I say in the book, it's like, if you want to win any negotiation, you have to be first willing to get up from the table. If you're not willing to get up from the table, then you have no leverage. And I think that's where athletes are at this point in time is, you know, every every athlete speaks up about what they want until, you know, it comes down to, well, would you not play? And and that's where the negotiation gets sticky. I mean, I said anything in life, you know, if you wanna if you want to win any negotiation, anything that you have to compromise with, if you're not willing to get up and leave and better yourself, then you're gonna lose that negotiation. Another big part of your book uh, was chapter nine, Step Up, and you talk about the Players Coalition and the social justice movement, and you've been such a big part of that. I think that's one of your greatest legacies as we look back on your career is what you've meant to the the you know social justice end of the NFL. I thought that was a good chapter because it kind of took us inside some of those meetings, and and you know you got the owners and you've got some other players, but. Uh, that was a big part to include in the book, I thought. Yeah. I mean, even more so now. Um, when I was in it, I don't think I really grasped exactly what we were doing. It's the first time in NFL history that players sat across some owners to negotiate something other than a collective bargaining agreement. Right. And now when I'm looking at how much um, the airspace that in the NFL dominates, we talk about like how large these, <laughs> how much these teams are worth power that the NFL has to think that players, you know, not just myself, but a bunch of players banded together to negotiate with that power to fight for their own communities and, and secure a significant amount of uh, resources. That's significant. And what we're able to do with that is grow from just a group of 12 NFL guys to expanding the Players Coalition um, to 12 other subsidiaries where we were supporting um, professional athletes from different sports. And I think that is something that I don't even think we could have imagined when we started to do it. Um, but that work has continued and only grown exponentially. Yeah. What a legacy you left there and very brave and uh, just incredible work. Chapter 11 of the book, you talk about your trip to Ghana. How did that come about? I mean, you said it was a gift to yourself. Um, why was that a gift to yourself? And what did, how did that change your life, that trip? Yeah, man, it's, it, that chapter was actually the hardest chapter for me to write. It's yeah. title one of because it's uh, on a football field, you have 11 players, and but you can only be one, right? And, and each person has to play their role in order for the team to win. And so if each person must understand that role, but you know that all roles are not created equal, right? The offensive line doesn't have the same role as the quarterback, but the quarterback is dependent on offensive line or receivers to catch the ball, all of these things. So it's this wrestling with, who I was, this is right after the Super Bowl, and I found myself, you know, struggling to lead my family, found myself dealing with anxiety and depression and, and trying to hold all of these things and trying to really decipher what is my responsibility and what is not. Um, and so one of the things I did to kind of escape was just retreat to Africa. I always wanted to go to Africa, so I started in Ghana, and it really helped me Formed and re-identify, you know, what my identity was, who I was going to be, um, you know, moving forward, where I could find some some foundation. And I went with my brothers. So 
it kind of reset me, you know, in a mindset where I can get back with my family and let go. And when I came back, I was so much more focused. I knew who I was. I knew what my role and my one element was. But even though I was going into a period that was going to be one of the toughest ones in my life. Yeah. What, a, what an amazing experience and trip. So, okay, uh, I know we're going to wrap here in a couple minutes, but I was on your social media in the last couple of days, and lo and behold, I see Malcolm Jenkins frolicking and <laughs> saying that he's never frolicked before. So here you are retiring, and I'm like, this is great. Like, he's frolicking into yeah. post-NFL career. <laughs> I mean, explain that to me. It looked joyful. It was amazing. Uh, you know, I saw this this challenge earlier this summer where it was just black men in field, random field of grass frolicking. <laughs> and it and it's like I didn't even know what a frolic was. I never frolicked. So I'm in I did it and it felt so good. And I was everybody who's like laughing at it, it looks funny. I'm like, no, you actually need to try. I'm very, very liberating. Uh, but yes, it's safe to say that I'm very comfortable in retirement. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome in the game, man, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things I look back, I'm super grateful for all of the experiences that I had. I feel very, very blessed to be in the position I am with my family, my friends, everyone's healthy. Um, and, you know, you, you have to take those moments to just be free, like live your life, do things that, enjoy, that you enjoy. A lot of us get so focused on like the results. You know, we, we, we if, get, if life is a game, we wait till we win to try to have fun. You know, we wait to the victory to enjoy ourselves, but the the joy comes in playing the game. And joy comes in living your life, um, and so that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying every step of where my feet are, um, and 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 grateful for all of the things that I've done. Well, I'll tell you what, I got an idea for your next book. You were the CEO of Malcolm Inc., and I think you used your career to build relationships and start your businesses so you could pivot into that post-career as well as any athlete I've seen. And you know, I know there's a lot of athletes out there that struggle with, what do I do after I retire? And how do I lay that groundwork during my career and build those relationships? You just put on a masterclass on how to do that. So I think a lot of athletes would benefit from the way you've done it the right way, uh, pivoting into that post-career because you're still, you're a young guy. You got a lot of life left to live. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's, and that's the thing. I know that I'm, my, my purpose on this planet is to be a bridge builder. You know, I'm going to run a race um, and it's not just for me to hit the finish line and let everybody celebrate me. It's to clear the track for who comes behind me. And so you're exactly right. Like I started Wall Street Ventures, our venture capital fund, specifically because I was learning about, you know, how to invest and and get into deals. And like, well, I need to bring this to my peers. Let's start a fund and get them to not only invest, but learn about how to, you know, grow your money, how to have this business mindset. And the good thing about what I'm doing is not that I am the business guru or anything like that. I use the knowledge that I have. And both athletes have been parts of teams their entire life. So they know what makes a good team. They know what makes a bad team. And my job and what I've been doing, the way I had success is I built my team with people, you know, around me that I can trust that I'm and putting them in the right positions to succeed. That is all things that I've learned from playing football since the age of seven all the way, you know, to a 13 year NFL career. And so if I'm looking at athletes, it's, it's, one, they have to shed the idea that they are not equipped to do these things. It's like, no, you are actually probably the, the prototype stere- um, CEO. You know everything about leadership, team building, how to resolve conflict, how to create processes, how to review those processes and stick to it over long periods of time. Like Those are things that like people get paid big bucks than doing big companies. And we've been doing it our whole lot. We first got to see it that way. So I, I appreciate um, you know, that the, the sentiments, I definitely, that might be the idea for the next book, but it's something that I talk about all the time. So I ask athletes all the time to reach out, you know, for anything, any advice, um, you know, because I've done it. We've been through it. Before I let you go, what else lies ahead for you? That, you know, I really am about storytelling. Um, you know, everything I want to do is, is with impact. And most of the business that I do is not like, you rarely hear me talk about making a ton of money. Money is just a tool to achieve the goals that I want, the impact that I want. So, you know, the business stuff, 
is is pretty solid. I'm into storytelling. One of the things I learned when we were doing um, a lot of the uh, social justice work was I got a lot further with people when we talked about stories, about human experiences, than when I did when I dropped statistics or policy and things like that. And so stories are how we learn history, it's how we carry tradition, it's how we relate to one another. Um, it's why I started my uh, production company, Listen Up Media, so we've been making content. This book is part of that exercise of telling my own story. Um, and so we have some documentaries in the, in the work, some creative uh, writing exercises, but storytelling is really where I find my next passion. Malcolm Jenkins, go buy his new book, What Winners Won't Tell You, Lessons from a Legendary Defender. It's in bookstores and Amazon.com everywhere on October 3rd. Malcolm, congratulations on a brilliant book, on a legendary career. I can't wait to see what you do in post-retirement and uh, just appreciate you, man. No, thank you so much. That's love. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, Brian Berger here from Sports Business Radio. Underdog Fantasy is the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio and the fastest growing fantasy app. Underdog is a variety of daily and season-long fantasy games that you can play. Best Ball Mania has $15 million in pool prize money, and first place wins $3 million. You can play as many entries as you want, and once you draft your team, you sit back and enjoy. No lineup change is needed. An underdog pulls your best performers and gives you those points. You never have to worry about leaving the wrong player on the bench again. Griggs and I will have our teams drafted for the upcoming NFL season, and this is a great way to enjoy all the upside of fantasy football without having to worry about maintaining your lineup each week. For daily fantasy, I love playing Pick'em and Rivals. With Pick'em, if I get five picks right, I can win 20 times my money. It's a fun way to do over-unders on player stats as well as pit players against each other. We've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. New users get up to $100 matched on their first deposit when they use the code SBR, like Sports Business Radio. SBR is the code to use. So download the app at underdogfantasy.com or in your app store and then enter the promo code SBR to get up to $100 to play with. Also, make sure to listen to my conversation on Sports Business Radio with Underdog Fantasy founder and co-CEO Jeremy Levine. He shares the unique story of how he founded Underdog Fantasy, and he has great insight into the future of daily fantasy and sports betting. Thanks to Underdog Fantasy for being the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to the Sports Business Radio team, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and Nicole Wardle. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.